0: He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome to the Racing with Bruno with the Works podcast. I'm, Ra- I'm Bruno DiGiulio. I'm Racing with Bruno. And I got a great guest, one of my favorite guests to have on, on the podcast, because, uh, I like him, number one. And number two, I think he knows his stuff, and that is Michael Baychuk. Champ, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Bruno. I appreciate you having me back on. I think this may—I mean, I'm, this is a multiple appearance on the podcast, which I can't say. Most people have me one time, and I'm like one and done. But you, you we, we keep getting together, and I, I really appreciate it. It's fun well, to do.
0: We're in uh, bluegrass country here. One and done is usually good. Uh, hey um my dad happened to see our friend james carville in the news the other day i guess uh he's got something going on with the government now but uh what is james up to
1: you know he he's still he's he's not on television as much as he used to be uh you know he's he's getting near the end of his work career um but he's still very attentive to horse racing um you know he texted me on breeders cup day who we bet and he's in a couple of you know little micro horse partnerships you know that, that that i'm in with some other guys and so he's still very interested in horse racing and i know you know next week when the fairgrounds opens you know one of the first people that i'll go to the track with uh, on a nice afternoon is james and we'll, we'll you know we'll sit there have a few beers and eat some red beans and rice, and try to pick a few winners. He, he still loves the horse racing for sure.
0: He got you into the game, though, didn't he?
1: He did. I mean, he did. And, you know, the fun story I've told before is, you know, when I was like 12 or 13, he worked for my dad as a lawyer. And uh, he wasn't doing much lawyering, actually. And uh, my dad had was doing a lot of lawyering. <laughs> And so he, you know, my dad was working on a weekend, I think a Saturday. And so it was one weekend where my dad, you know, we were supposed to do something. And uh he said, Hey James, can you watch Michael for, you know, this Saturday while I'll go to the office and work? And James said, Sure, but I'm going to the track. And my dad said, Whatever, just take him. So uh, I think I was twelve, you know. And so I loaded up into a car with James and uh three of his uh degenerate buddies. I, I remember stopping. <laughs> At one of the guys' wife, she had a dress store, I think, or like a little gift store or whatever. And we stopped the car right out. and We didn't park, like, we didn't pull in and park into a park. It's like we were robbing the place, which actually we were because <laughs> the guy ran in, went to the cash register. I'm not kidding, grabbed some money out of the register, and came out to the car and said, Hit it. And we took off. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, I swear to God, it's a true story. And that's, uh, and that, and we were we were go to the track and uh, that's the first that was my first and then it, that started out is like that became like a you know once every month or so we'd go to the fairgrounds and I just got hooked on it that way and then my dad kind of got hooked because he's like wow you know you, you enjoy going with James I'll go you know and so we all went um, into uh, we went to the fairgrounds yeah that's and, how I got any more
0: drop, any any more hit and runs at uh, any uh, dress <laughs> stores.
1: We used to hit and run. There was a place. Um, now remember, I'm 12 or 13, uh, but there was a place called um, we were in Baton Rouge. So we'd have, we would have to drive an hour, 30 minutes to new Orleans. Back then there was, you know, it wasn't an interstate from, you know, so, but there was a bar and uh, it was called the halfway house. And literally it was, you know, halfway between Baton Rouge and new Orleans and we, they, Park the car, and we'd all go in. Now this is a bar. It's Louisiana. I'm 13. They didn't. <laughs> no one batted an eye. They go in. They get their bloody marys to go. Of course, they had those uh, pickled eggs on the counter. They get some of those, and we get back in the car and we drive to New Orleans. You know, with our bloody marys and my Coke oh, or my Shirley God. Temple or whatever it is. And that was our ritual. Yeah. You know, that was that was our daily. And you were ride. 12
0: and 13. What a great 12, uh, 13. Uh, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, You know, now that we fast forward to 2021, a lot of stuff's been happening, and a lot of things have been going on um, in racing. You know, we just concluded the Breeders' Cup. I wanted to get your take on that. But I'm going to start off with this whole... uh, I'm sure you read this whole thing about the Breeders' Cup uh, clockings being incorrect, allegedly. And how in reality, everybody in the press box knew that those there was a couple of times that were adjusted immediately right after the race was over and the times were put out so all the charts would have all the original, uh, that would have all the uh, uh, f- uh, factual times, correct at times. Um, and have you kept up with this? When all of a sudden, last weekend, uh, Randy Moss came out with a statement that uh, Equibase had dropped the ball again and their G-Max wasn't working and they had bad times, really created a stir because now people believe that those times are incorrect. I went ahead and timed every one of those races that night, and I found very little discrepancies. Have you kept up with this whole time fiasco or time gate?
1: I have a little, and and I'll tell you why, because it's not, it's not an uncommon uh, practice or an uncommon thing to happen on a, on a regular basis at tracks. And you, you know, you're, you're more of an expert on the run-up and how they, when they start the timer and it's different run-ups to the, to the, that trick the timer, you know, in different races. And it's just, it's almost like it's got – you know, it, it really has you shaking your head because what 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 we're most – some some handicappers, you know, who are strictly based on times and not like what they see – and that's fine, you know, not what they see on a track but how fast a horse runs. I mean, you know, they, they support the game. They're betting into the game, and they're betting into what they hope and they, you know, they, they really should expect are – accurate times. How fast is a horse running a race? But this happens on really almost a daily basis. all attracts uh, all across the country. For it to happen though at the biggest event, even the suspicion that, that we don't have the proper uh, oversight or the proper um, sophistication to time our races correctly on the biggest Event of the year it is is just incredible, and I guess I've almost grown immune to hearing these sorts of things because they seem to become commonplace in the in horse racing. Um, it's just like we don't care, you know, about the integrity of the racing. We just don't care enough about betters to give them the proper timing. Can you imagine? At the Olympics, which is what Breeders' Cup weekend is, it's the Olympics. We got horses from all over the world these days coming in. It's important to time the races correctly, but I guess we don't, or you know, don't have in place the proper technology um, where we, where you we don't need Bruno to go and check on the times, you know, after the race, or Craig Mikowski with Timeform or whomever. Do you feel the need, Bruno, to go and check the 100-yard dash times or the 100-meter 100, 100 times at the Olympics just to make sure that they're accurate? No. Why? No, because no, no.
0: You're, you're correct. Because you're, you're they're accurate. That's why. Correct.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, it, it, but let me – one other let me, point. Let me just one, – yeah. one final point. The, the The real problem is there are no repercussions. There's no – so we got it wrong. Horse racing usually says, "Okay, well, we got it wrong. Well, maybe we'll do better next time. Maybe we won't. But who who cares? Well, you know, betters care, but we don't have any real voice in the game, so we have no we have no real power except to bet somewhere else, which, you know, is difficult to do, to be honest.
0: Well, I I agree with you. You know, I shouldn't have to go, but I will tell you this: there's groups. And people in our industry that are completely sensationalizing this for their own agendas. And so we're not only dealing with the fact that on Breeders' Cup Day, the times were corrected immediately. And why was that? Because they do have a timer that hand times all the races. Now, having done it at Del Mar uh, for two years in 95 and 96, I can tell you, Michael, that a lot of stuff can happen. You know, for example, I could be sitting there watching the race, and I in a timer is working perfectly, but a bunch of birds just conjugate right around the tie, the beaming at the quarter pole of the um, of the turf. during the summer, and as the horses are approaching, and the, and, and the birds hear the 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 hoofs, the hoofbeats, all of a sudden they scatter, and one of them will trip the beam, and. And you can hear it. You can hear you're, they're about 50 yards from the beam and you hear a thunk. And you're going like, oh, that time's off. You know, you know that. So you know to make sure you, you, you're, you're on the ball with your own stopwatch to get the correct time. So there is certain things that'll happen like that. Now, a lot of people also don't understand that in the old timing systems, uh, when you tripped one timer, <clears throat> when you tripped one timer, I'd say at the start the, the system would wait 19 seconds and then turn on the cell at the quarter pole. The reason being is that it was trying to um, narrow the gap of time. So nothing can off, you know, that very little chance of something can can trip it between that and the horses hitting it two seconds later. And Sometimes when you see a 19 pop up on the screen, that's exactly what happened. That for whatever reason, the timer just went off. Then it waited 19 seconds and then just went off. It's a glitch, a glitch in the software system. So a lot of people don't understand the ins and outs. And and sometimes they're very, and on, on, on social media, people are so quick to judge, so quick to judge immediately on what's going on and
1: so so Bruno though I mean you just said when you were timing at you know when you were at Del Mar which was probably 20 years ago maybe yeah right okay so we're two decades past I, I agree I, agree. <laughs> I mean yeah, I agree. it's just can the tracks just invest in some and I know why they don't because it's costly and again the, it, it, seriously costly you know to, to to reinvest in timing equipment and the reason why they don't is number one cost number two it doesn't matter what happens if they don't time it right it really there's no there are no repercussions the california horse racing board chrb is not gonna um, call in del mar and say Shame on you. You know, you mistimed these races. That's that's something that we can't stand because it damages the integrity of the game. We're going to fine you, whatever. That's not going to happen. Well, well, well so, wait a minute. So they, we, so they don't do we,
0: it. We should be calling the CHRB and going shame on you for what happened at Breeders' Cup. Well, with whatever Breeders' Cup... They're regulatory
1: authority. I mean, if you want to... Yeah, I mean, the timing issue was one thing. The... You know, the whole scratch with or non-scratch with uh, modern games was a completely different fiasco. That uh, was incompetence.
0: Can... That was incompetence it... on every level. And not to pull the words out of <clears throat> my cousin Vinny. <laughs> all we needed, all we needed is one of the stewards to get on that radio and say, are you sure? Sure. That's all you needed to do. Are you sure?
1: Right, right. That was was one of the great lines. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was again. I mean, I and I don't know all. You know, humans make mistakes, right? I'm willing to. I'm I'm willing to, unlike some people, you know, give a human the benefit of the doubt that hey, a mistake was made. No problem. I really, well, I mean, it was a bad
0: situation. Not on that yeah, event. Well,
1: exactly. I mean, there should have been some checks and balances. Like you said, are you sure? You know? Yeah. yeah and, then, right. and, then, and then why, I guess, you know, Not, but I'm willing to say, okay, somebody made a mistake. That's fine. But But why was the horse, I mean, I guess we need to examine the policy that's in place. Why was the horse allowed? if he scratched in the biggest race, you know, in the Olympics, hey, um, we're going to run the – again, the 100-meter dash. This guy is not going to be able to – he's going to run. He can't get a – you know, he can't get a medal, but we're going to let him run for time. I mean, that's basically – I mean, he he was actually able to run for purse, but it's just so – it's just confusing. And my question, I was thinking, like, what would have happened, Bruno, I think I know the answer. But what would have happened if modern games had interfered with somebody?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. No seriously, like yeah, if right. if, if he if he had fouled, you know, uh, a horse. Well, well you can't disqualify him from the 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 betting because he's already disqualified. And, and he would have cost another horse the, you know, it's just it just opens itself up for too many things. That's just a policy that needs to be reexamined. I give them the benefit of the doubt, but they, it was just handled. The, the thing that really made me angry, and I had bet on modern games. I had singled him in the pick five.
0: I did too. I, yeah, I was um, alive to everything. I was right? on the
1: Charlie yeah. Appleby train. We can talk about that. For I was on the train all weekend, but it's just you know, it's, it's just frustrating after the race to see the statement that the chrb put out that was you know, my next point
0: uh, and, and yeah, Scott, I mean, both
1: yes both of them and the first thing i was you know texting people like I don't know, who, who are they going to roll the bus on first right i mean yeah. and i know as a communication expert and a crisis communication expert that you want to get out you know the first rule is to get out information as soon as you can but the second rule equally important is when you get your information out, make sure that it is 100 percent accurate, 100 percent the truth. And what we got was not the truth. And so that even it, it just exacerbated, you know, again, and I speak to the integrity of the game and and we, we, we keep we keep. Um, and I didn't want this to develop into a soapbox, but we keep, No, I think you know, this is
0: great. No, please, please. Cause I'm going to do yourself. something in the next segment with you.
1: I mean, we just Go keep ahead. torpedoing ourselves with, you know, we're, we're damaging the integrity of the game. And here is why that's important, especially more important today than it ever has been, because there are so many pressures on horse racing from, from competition from you know sports betting, from fantasy uh, betting, but also um, policy-wise and opinion-wise, legislatively, and from uh, public opinion on how we treat animals, and so we have pressures on both sides. You know, we have well three sides really. So we have you know betting pressure, competition of the gambling dollar. We have competition from legislatures and policymakers saying, "Hey, like today there was a bill talked about." in New York that, you know, they're going to author, I'm not sure it's going to pass, they're going to author to take away all the slot revenue from horse purses. Um, and, then, and then we have pressures from, you know, PETA groups and animal welfare groups, but not only them, just regular common, you know, people who say, hey, we need to treat animals better. You know? And so these things are just, they're all coming together and we just, you know, we're not answering to me, we're not answering the call on any of those things.
0: Well, Whoa! Let's go into a make-believe world right now. I have just given you your uh, an assignment. You have. Let me get the crown out. You are the new horse racing commissioner, Commissioner Baychuck. Actually, Commissioner Mike would might might be good because we can name a horse commissioner Mike, but. <laughs> Commissioner Mike, you're, you're on that steel throne. What is the first thing you do in this game?
1: Well, wow, that's a really good question. I mean, well, the first thing I do is put the full my, – my full endorsement and, and as much influence as I can behind the new horse integrity – and safety authority. And I I know that there are issues with the rules that they've just published, which is why they've offered a comment period. I know that it is not a perfect uh, structure. There will be growing pains, but it is all that we got right now. It's really all that we have. And it is this, you know, currently what described as, you know, the the savior of the game. And so we have to get uniform drug rules in place throughout the country, first of all. And, and secondly, we have to get uniform safety rules in place. And that may include, you know, a, a policy that says if a horse runs, if he's scratched in a race, he can't run for purse money only. That may be one of the rules. But we have to give this authority the chance to change the game and make it cleaner and restore integrity and, uh, and enforcement. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're, we we will not be having this conversation in 10 years, Bruno. I mean, we just, we just won't, I mean, the pressures on horse racing as a sport and as on a game as a gambling business are just too intense and we won't be able to, we won't answer. the if we don't answer the call, Right now, in my opinion, there'd be no call to answer in you know, 10 years.
0: Well, since I've given myself the power to an- anoint you, Commissioner Mike, I also anointed myself lead investigator and asset protection manager uh, of, <laughs> of, of, of racing. And the first thing that I would recommend to you, the commissioner, would be that every trainer in the country, would have to be bonded with a contract, signed, sealed and delivered on all the rules of the game and engagement and sort of the terms of engagement. Uh, And so one of the first few rules that I would make is that no one with any interest in any horses breeding, um, uh, any, any of those things, would be able to serve as a member of a board across the country would you veto that or would you sign it into action
1: i think that invites you know i, I mean that i would debate that because i believe that that invites people onto boards and into positions of authority that don't have enough understanding of the nuances of our sport. Um, It sounds great in theory. Um, You know, I mean, you certainly don't want people that have a conflict, you you know, interest, a conflict of interest. So that's maybe different than an interest, you know, in, in horse racing. I, I would be a little leery of, you know, the Heisa board if they did not have, you know, a mix of people that do know, you know, something about, and are integral to the the operation of horse racing, either through breeding ownership training, if it, and, and, and then people who don't, who just have, you know, information and and experience in other sports, you know, um, other large organizational sports. I think that's, that's a needed thing in our, in our, in the, in the whole scheme of uh, governing, but I would be a little leery of excluding people that don't have any knowledge of um, of our sport, because I think there there are special nuances that that you know are that 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 are special to our our industry, and I want people that are making decisions about how to conduct it to know those things. And I, there is I, no. I, 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 would I would
0: agree. I would respect. And there's no.
1: Th- And there's no learning curve because we are in a a critical time point. If we had five years or so, you know, just to to let people kind of learn a little bit on the job about how things work in horse racing. And, but I mean, Bruno, they're talking about instituting HISA in July of 2022, which, you know, I'm not good at math, but I mean, I think that's eight months away, you know? So, uh, and, and we don't even have rules yet. So, we need people that have some knowledge of horse racing involved in the process so that we can have something at least to work with. Um, But in theory, it's, it sounds good. I I don't think in practice, it would be, it would be workable for us.
0: I will tell you that when I appointed myself in this position, I was very well aware that I wouldn't make it through lunchtime. (laughs) So, okay. So put that aside, (laughs) commissioner, would you tackle policing sales?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that. I mean, I, I read something today by Barry Irwin, um, which uh was kind of funny in places he did, he probably didn't think it was funny, um, you know, where he touted himself as the person who had the original idea to couple USADA, uh, which is the U.S. Anti Doping Aso- uh, Association, with horse racing. And he, look, he may have well been, it just sounded like a you know, I'm touting my own horn thing. Um, and he had a great point about if Heisa does not incorporate, you know, um, as you know, Bruno, from your background, you know, an investigative arm, not just uh, a testing arm, but an arm that actually, you know, uh, is at tracks and, you know, investigating things um, before they happen. That's an important part. Um,
0: I, I'm, I'm signing up for that.
1: But you, know. you should. Yeah. But he also talked about maybe they were biting off too much and, you know, he didn't like that they included safety uh, of the welfare of the horses. He, I may not have phrased that correctly. He, he didn't. He didn't think that should be part of their full mission. I believe, however, that it should be part of their full mission. And in that belief, I think that sales should absolutely 100 percent. Be under the authority of HSAA, and they should be policed because as, I don't, you know, I only know by an, anecdotal evidence. Seeing horses that go through two-year-old sales that are working out in nine and change, sold for three or four hundred thousand, run three or four times, and and you know they're done. And how many of those horses are there? Well, there's hundreds of those, right? Well, l- so, let me let me get into the and that's just the the, the two-year-olds in training. I mean, th- there are other things that are done, as you know, that you've, you know, explained to me and I've seen how do you prepare yearlings for racing, for, for sales is, you know, we, it, it's just, we're not They're helping the longevity stress. of yeah. the breed. Right. Correct.
0: Commissioner, Commissioner Mike, my next proposal to you would be that with all this money going through sales. Uh, on, on yearlings and weanlings and broodmares and two-year-olds. How about a tax on all yeah. those sales that would actually go into a national fund for purse monies or tournaments for horse players that would actually <laughs> and, and, and the NTRA would be a perfect entity to place a small, even a 1%, 1%. It was $120 million that went through Keeneland, just for the Keeneland September sale. $120 million. It might have been even more. It might have been, that just might have been one, you know, one, uh, uh, book one and two. I'd have to look. But if you look at that kind of money, let's say, $200 million go through the Keeneland sale. If they take 1% and put that into a national fund, let's say that happens in 2021, it goes into the 2022 national fund. Basic Tipton, 1% of every horse sold goes into this fund. You put a, all this money into a fund that tracks can use for tournaments for horse players. They can use for purse monies. Uh, they can use for a lot of different things. Where we are not going to be dependent on slot money, on gambling casino money, where that would put us on on in our in our own, we, we 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 would basically ride it on the back of the breeding industry, who actually gets paid back with those purses when they're actually their horses run. Commissioner, I vote that this this could be a game changer for for racing. <laughs> would you support it or would you veto it?
1: I support a and, and as I asked this question uh, to the Twitterverse last week about when I saw the same numbers coming in through the facet tipton and the sales, I was like, "Wow, that's you know hundreds of millions of dollars." Do they have a uh, a fee attached to each sales price on each horse that goes to Thoroughbred Aftercare? rather than to horse players, which is not a, a terrible idea. We, we already
0: paid that as, as, as person yeah. that, that spent over $200,000 with partners at the sales since September, we've already, we, we, we already gave a, a percentage of our, it's point, you know, we, right. It is. Yeah.
1: It's 0.05% of the sales price. So on a, on a hundred thousand dollar horse, it's 50 bucks. Okay. Fifty bucks on a hundred thousand dollars. So on a million-dollar horse, it's five hundred dollars. Now, is it adequate? Hell no. Hell no. It's not adequate. A million dollars, and we're going to pay five hundred to 3rd aftercare. No, it's not. It's not a. It, it's it's a, it's a token, and I'm I'm sure I'm making people angry, you know, when I, because it's, that's, that's their real money. But I mean, it's just. Well,
0: hey, Michael, sometimes it, we it, breathe and people get angry. It's
1: just, it's just, it's just not enough. I mean, it's something and it's, um, you know, I'm sure that the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance is, you know, is grateful for it. Um, but it sure needs to be more. I don't think, I don't think that money needs to go to horse players or purses or, you know, but it, it needs to go to taking care of those horses again, back to the safety and integrity so it, that sort of action would, would would probably speak to the people that are, you know, raising their arms and their voices about you're not taking care of your horses. If you could point to something that says, yes, we are. Here's what we're doing for every million dollars spent. We're putting up a thousand dollars for that thousand dollars. You know, this is what you're going to get. And, and this is how we're taking care of the horses. You know,
0: for, And, and know you know what? You, for some of those guys. To- that they buy these million dollar horses that basically have a ninety-nine percent chance of not ever doing anything in their lifetime ever, and and maybe eighty percent of going through non-winners of two, they can pony up extra five thousand dollars. It'd be good karma for it's them. not
1: even five thousand. I mean I'm saying like let's just, you know, it's five hundred dollars on a million.
0: Right, right. But what I'm
1: saying is <laughs> it's like hey, oh, it's 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 nothing. I mean it's it's not a lot of money. And hopefully, you know, maybe there'll be some discussion about raising that fee. So I don't think the horse players need it. Um, You know, there are other things that we need uh, as horse players. Um, You know, first, which would, you know, one of the first things, if I was commissioner of horse racing, you know, addressing the takeout. Because, again, you know, to alleviate the competition pressures that we face, we cannot continue to take out 25%. Or more on wagers, you know, when, uh, you know, a sports bet a guy could bet on us on a football game, and his takeout is, you know, effectively five percent, or ten, at the worst, you know. So, um, I mean, you you can't compete with that. That that is going to be, you know, people like myself, for instance, my handle on horse racing has declined as. It's as the fantasy uh, gambling betting has become available in my state, and will decline even more as sports betting becomes available in a more readily fashion in my state. Because it's just a better gamble, and that's and, you know that's just something that a lot of younger people will, will have. You know, we got to compete for those for those gambling dollars if we're going to stay in business.
0: Commissioner Mike. Right, that, was not, that was harder for me to say than Commissioner Mike. How about the handicappers? Handicappers need help. Now, I am sure in your Twitterverse questionnaire you put out, you probably only had to go down two responses to get give me some winners. <laughs> uh, but, and, and that is a problem that a lot of horse players have. They want winners, but they don't want to work for it. They don't want to become better handicappers. They, the pari betting has become lost on horse players. Commissioner Mike, would you put together a wing of your office dedicated to educate the horse player the right way?
1: No, and I'll tell you why. Because if we had a game that was attractive to gamblers, then the market would create the education part for those gamblers. If you go look at my my timeline on Twitter, excuse me, is filled with commercial operators who are advertising not only the education debt, free free data, um, free education on how to become a better fantasy better. But 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 also, you know, they, they, they certainly give out picks too. I mean, because the marketplace is there for it, because there are people who mm-hmm. either want to become better fantasy players or want to become better um, – or, or just want the information or want the picks. So okay, that's good, really okay, good point. Stop upon,
0: right there. Stop right there because – I am going to retract my uh, request, and I'm going (laughs) to restate it. Um, Commissioner Mike, would you have a wing of your office in solely giving out information and data to the fans at no cost?
1: Yes, absolutely. Every other sport does it. Every other game. I am
0: doing happy dance right now. So yes,
1: every other major sport. If we're going to call ourselves a major sport, every other major sport makes nearly all, if not all, of their information, their data, available for free, for free. Now you go. You then go pay somebody who you know who then takes that free data. And then manipulates it, you know, by using their algorithms into producing a rating on, you know, um, Tom Brady, for instance, you know. But the data that that person uses to get that is free. And, and, we, and we, we don't, and that's just another barrier that we have in the game. To, so, so we're basically telling people who want to come study horse racing and, you know, figure it out. We're creating a barrier a price barrier to them uh, that they're not used to because if they are uh, you know uh, a baseball better a football better a basketball better they're going to they're going to get all this data for free and and we're saying hey we're we're, we're just different we're going to charge you for it you know um, it's just it's that's frustrating that's a frustrating part of and, and look we're doing better about it I mean I know there's companies you know brisnet gives out a lot of free stuff you know past performances um uh you know i'm not so sure that drf does um but but you know th- there are are operators that are giving out free data twin spires if you bet with them you certainly can get some free data from them. um but equibase kind of you know it, they have the monopoly and so there's only, there's only so much a BrisNet can do because they're getting it from Equibase to start with. And, and Equibase is charging everybody.
0: So, Commissioner Mike, <laughs> we have covered a number of issues here. What would Commissioner Mike do about the integrity of the sport?
1: Well, as, I mean, I think as I said, I, I would put the full weight and force of the industry behind HISA at this point. Because whether you agree that that was the best tack to take or not, that's where this is where we are. Um, and if we don't, if we don't really support and make it the best that it can be, then we we're back to where we started. You know, well, we're back to where we are right now which is in a precarious tipping point, in my opinion, position. Um, so I, I think we got to give it a chance, but not only give it a chance, I really think we have to support uh, and try to make it better. You know, th- there's a comment period for, for a reason. I mean, I saw one thing in there that I was, I'm very concerned about um, in their rules was the, the rule that – and this is just a proposed rule, but it, is that a horse cannot compete – a claiming horse cannot compete for a purse that is 1.6. I think it was 1.6 times more than the claiming price of the race. So to put that in perspective, a $10,000 horse running for a $10,000 claiming price can, cannot compete for a purse of greater than $16,000. Now, Right now, well, is you know, that
0: off the claim or is that just period?
1: That's period. That's the race as it reads to me and to other people that have read it. In other words, a track would not be able to offer a purse of more than $16,000 for a claiming race of $10,000. Now, right now, yeah. Oaklawn, for instance, yeah, you should go read that. Yeah. I mean, Oaklawn, uh, Churchill, the fairgrounds they're all offering purses right now for 10,000 claimers for 30,000 plus. So, yeah. so where does that, where does this, the balance of the 14, let's say it's a $30,000 purse that, you know, now we can only run for 16. Where's the 14,000? That, that, would,
0: that would mean that that's 16. M- that means that if if I read it correctly, a thirty thousand dollar claimer can drop into a sixteen thousand dollar claimer and running. But if you want to race for ten thousand dollars and you're trying to step up the sixteen, you wouldn't be able to.
1: No, it has not. It's not the claiming price, it's the purse. So Right, well uh, no, right, right. But, but why would you take a horse, horse that you value at thirty thousand exactly and running for to ten to run for sixteen grand? I mean, because right. if you win the right. purse and right. and lose the horse, you're you you're making fifteen. But it keeps
0: away from guys dropping to win a race, and 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 trying and you know and basically, well, let me put it this way: how many what times
1: we yeah, seen? What, what, what is the what is the goal? Now, that's a that's a great question. What is the goal well, of having exactly. that I don't know particular rule? I don't know but, either.
0: But but <laughs> but how many times we've seen guys take a horse from forty and drop it down to fifteen, and you kind of go. Or from a straight maiden down to fifteen, and you go, mm-hmm. is this horse done? Is this horse crippled? Is this horse no good? You know, well, you see that a lot. You see that right. a lot in, in New Orleans and fairgrounds. They run for a straight mate, Louisiana bred, but then they run for a fifteen thousand dollar open main special. I mean, main claim. Well,
1: it, it would it would it would discourage people who think they have a thirty thousand dollar horse to dropping in to ten. Uh, because, you know, right. they wouldn't get the purse. they get a purse right. if they win, but they lose the horse for 10, but the purse would only be half of what they would normally be getting. I, well, I mean, what I, cause actually my, cause my, my point is, people is people this.
0: On, well, well, wait a minute. That would cause actually people that are dropping that 30 to 40, to straight main type, down into a lower level instead of giving them time off.
1: And and, and, and and that's the point that some people were making as well is that what, what that rule will do is not well not that particular situation but if you're going to make a living with a $10,000 horse you're not going to make a living with a $10,000 no, no, horse no, running no, you're for $15,000 purse you can make so that would, that would make that horse have to run more often to earn you know to earn his or her keep which is kind of against the whole safety aspect of the act it's just the people are still doing that
0: right now but people are doing that right now
1: but that that, would that that level but that but that would force people to do it because you can't i mean i mean because we're not decreasing the day rate on a horse if we're decreasing the purse we're just decreasing the purse so we're decreasing the earning potential of a horse but keeping the expenses the same which means that you're going to have to run that horse more often um, to earn his or her keep. It's just.
0: But Commissioner the thing, Mike, really I is, object. Yeah. I object. Okay. Because I object because what happens is. And I had a whole great train of thought and <laughs> right out the other year. No, but let me keep going then. All uh, right.
1: Okay. okay. All right. Go ahead. And I'll, and I'll come back. All right. So by, by law, statute in states, there's a certain amount of purse money through agreements and by law that has to be paid out every year. That money, you know, you can't just, the tracks can't hold on to it. So if we're not, if we're taking a $30,000 purse and now we're cutting that to 15, where is the $15,000? Where does that other $15,000 go? Well, I can tell you where I think it's going to go. It has to go. It has to go to the horses that are running for allowances, for maidens, for maiden, you know, not maiden claimers, right? But for maiden straights and for stakes races. And so to me, it's a just a very peculiar rule that is, to, it, it, it looks like it's seeking to redistribute. And I know that to a socialist like myself, this may sound funny to people out there, but it is seeking to redistribute the wealth of the purses to the top.
0: And, that, and it's trying to is, possibly remove horses get rid from of the track that are correct. not sound. And, and let me just say this. You correct. know, horses get, don't get hurt in races. Horses get hurt in the morning. When you you get horses that are working 10, 15, 20 times, 30 times before they ever start, That's when they get hurt. So on a large percentage of the horses I have had injured, it's been in the morning. That's true. So by by discouraging somebody of taking their $40,000 horse and dropping it down to 10 and that some sucker claim it and get them out of their horses – because that horse, you know, they bought a $300,000 horse that can't run and they're trying to unload it and get, you know, and if you bought a horse for $300,000, you really need ten dollars to $15,000 to kind of work towards, you know, no, just get rid of, write them all off, put, give yeah. them away, do something. But you know what? There's a lot of people in this game that don't do that. There's a lot of people in this game that don't want to have the common sense to make this game better. It's all about them lining their own damn pockets with money and they don't give a shit. There, there, there's another part of it a lot of people want to sit there and buy horses double mark them up and sell them to their clients you know so That's hence fine, i asked you know, you know, i got you two know, of
1: those I, emails today about horses that were bought in partnerships uh that both never made it to the to the races and uh you know both of these partnerships are doing the right thing and taking those horses rather than running them they're taking their these horses and moving them to uh, a, an aftercare program, either new training as a as a jumper or, or something else. So, but but you're right. There there are more people that don't do the right thing by the horse at that point than do do the right thing. I, I, it's just that, a very peculiar. Commissioner room. Mike,
0: Commissioner Mike, yeah. may I have a position in your um, in your <laughs> in your in your kingdom? May hey, I have a position that I go find those people
1: chief investigator?
0: Oh, I'll tell you, if people want to say you're that chief. I'm a prick, I can be a really good prick when I want to be
1: You're you're chief investigator.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. You can call it's, me. It's chief just a
1: director. very, very peculiar rule. I, I don't, I don't, I think I know what the intent is, um, which, which disturbs me, which is basically to get rid of claimers um, yeah. because, because they can't run for money that they can't uh, live, you know, th- that you can't live it living with. Right. And it takes that money because that money cannot, you can't remove the money from the game because it's, you know, it is the, the money that's generated by betters. Uh, so you have to move it somewhere and it's only going to go up. It's going to go up into the, you know, the the allowances and the stakes races. And it, it just, th- that to me is very concerning. And I'd like to hear from, Heisa, what, their, what their intent is on that rule. I think that's going to get the most attention once people you know, wade through the 100 the pages or so of rules. Um, that's concerning to me.
0: Commissioner Mike, I have another suggestion. Involving regular Joe Horse players into a fantasy draft from the yearling sales and the two-year-old in training sales. How about <laughs> we take a little bit of money and put it in, in where people can play a fantasy draft on all these yearlings that are going through a Keeneland. And, you know, each player can have up to 100 horses stabled. You know, that would be another way to be able to get people to play. There would be money generated for the purse monies and also be able to take a percentage of that and, and for aftercare. See, I believe, and and, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and and, and it's all in fun and discussion with you, Commissioner, but I think the racing game and the people that run it have really a two-by-four stuck up their ass (laughs) because they don't have any imagination,
1: none. No innovation, no innovation.
0: No innovation, no imagination, nothing. Turn the Keeneland yearling sale into the NFL draft commissioner. You have a a couch. You could sit, you could sit there. You can actually have a Jersey for each horse, you know, and you can actually hug them, you know, when they, after they're drafted, I mean, little things like that. I mean, I'm taking it a little farther and making fun of it, but, but in reality, the racing game is really all about putting stuff and money in their pocket and no innovation, no absolute imagination, nothing out there that people are going to say oh man that is so cool you know and you know we're going to get to see this we don't get that you know we and i were talking (laughs) about the fields and racing you know this past week after breeders cup it's
1: putrid oh it's horrible i know yeah well that's a whole nother issue (laughs) that's that's for another Ask the commissioner segment, uh, maybe. Well, maybe we will month, have another but...
0: podcast where we will ask. Where we will actually nominate Mister Baychuck as czar of racing.
1: Well, I love without... the uh, yeah. I love the idea of the of the fantasy horse racing, and especially incorporating. Uh, and I know there's an app out there that, that does it on a daily basis, but uh, I think there I think there's a lot more value, and maybe they should consider. Um, adopting your idea i think that is a fantastic idea to
0: draft here's your pool
1: right yeah. here's your pool of horses i mean it's a thousand or whatever you want you know use the just all the yearling sales maybe then you have a supplemental with two-year-old sales you know i mean and and then you know maybe the sponsorship would be the you know the breeding farms i mean they could all kick in a few grand it's not like a whole lot of money and then you yeah, pay to play, like, and yeah, see,
0: they, they make a little. But, but it
1: keeps awesome. you. Yeah. It keeps you following every horse, you know, for 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 the for their career. I mean, it, it kind of invests you in the in the in the the journey, you know, right. the journey of a horse. Um, I love exactly. that idea. Actually, we got yeah, well, to find some of fun.
0: The one thing I've learned them. about this industry is that if you throw blurt some something out there, there's somebody that's willing to steal it.
1: Well, I hope someone steals that because uh Yeah, yeah. Well that you is heard it uh hard, dear, with the commissioner. Well, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> maybe but, I'll be, maybe maybe I'll be the commissioner of the fantasy league. Now i have pitched to There you go.
0: Uh, there Kings. you go. Yeah.
1: I've pitched to uh to DraftKings, uh, you know, why don't they have a fantasy horse racing? Um and it's just the answer that I've gotten, um, and it's Johnny Avello. I mean, he's you know Johnny is one of the, he's you know a senior vice president of DraftKings, and he he basically invented the modern day sports book in Las Vegas. Um, he, he's a I you know, I had stock
0: a, in them, you know that right?
1: Ter- terrific. Who? DraftKings, everybody, and yeah.
0: I, bought, yeah. I, bought, I yeah. bought them when they were $10. You bought high, and now
1: you're selling well, well, I, No,
0: no, no. I bought them when they were $10 with Diamond Eagle Acquisition Corp. When I found out that they were going to go public, I bought, them for, I bought a bunch of shares for $10, and I sold them for 45 when uh, the whole pandemic hit, and they crashed.
1: Well, you probably made a good deal. But the thing is about the fantasy, it's too, it's too, there's too many regulatory hoops to jump over. I mean he
0: that is another problem. That is another problem. I know. I know. We I know. can't get states to agree on simple medication, you know, uh, reform. You know, you know we like, can't get know. we can't
1: get New York Racing Association to agree with T V G to put uh, <laughs> to put Saratoga or Belmont on on the TV. I mean
0: well it's almost T V G too. It's T V G too. I'm, just, I'm, not
1: not, I'm, not placing, I'm not playing placing i'm saying yeah. it's comical that that the horse racing station does not have the horse racing meet on its uh you know on its on its channel it's just and and by the way las, there's plenty of blame to go around bruno las vegas you can't go out there and bet any churchill Downs uh own track you can't you know i mean you can't bet churchill downs at the wind sportsbook except for yeah. Derby day. It's just, we got a lot of issues, but, 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 um, we, I think they're fixable. I really do.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this has really been a fun segment, commissioner. You have been really <laughs> forthright in your position and really open up and, and tell us what you would like to do now, commissioner, we're going to talk about your handicapping skills. Um, you, uh, you just recently in August went to, uh, um, uh, the NHC, um, and you're looking to go back again now. When now is the NHC going to be back now in January, or 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 what's happening with that?
1: It is. It's back at its regularly scheduled time, pending uh, you know any any new developments in the COVID pandemic. Um, so yeah, we're back January 28th through January 30th uh, back at Bally's. Uh, so will we see it, you at Bally's? Even- yeah yeah I'm, I'm I mean I'm not officially qualified but i'm i'm uh, I should qualify on tour points i mean I'm pretty certain that I'll qualify on tour points at this point uh, so what that means is that I've had a lot of really high finishes this year in in qualifiers but I haven't won a tournament so but I'm like 30 something on the list uh, out of the top 75 so yeah I'll be there
0: um, well, being the commissioner, you can pull some yeah. strings too, right? You know. No, no, you know, I'm not right trying here. to pull any strings. No,
1: I'm not, I'm, I'm, <laughs> but no. you're the commissioner. It, there's no. The commissioner does not have the power to grant uh, entry into the NHC championship. I, I, wish, yeah. I wish. I wish. I wish they did. I think all past champions should have automatic entry, as long as yeah, they're willing yeah, they to pay a fee. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they should be paid pay for a seat, whatever you charge. You know, and on a uh, track. You know, then if you don't want to pay it, you don't pay it. But that's that's a that's another that's for another show. Do you
0: have a Do uh, you have any little secrets for aspiring NHC players that you could share?
1: Expiring? Uh, no, like people that, no, are, uh, that aspiring, are aspiring. Aspiring. I thought people were talking about people that are dying NHC players. Uh, uh, <laughs>
0: Commissioner. Commissioner Mike. Right.
1: aspiring yeah <laughs> yeah i do have a sense of humor uh you should if you're an aspiring player you should play as many of the free tournaments and as many as the really cheap tournaments on uh you know on i guess the only sites that there are really at this point is horse players and uh horse tourneys but I think you know for as little as you know a dollar five dollars you can get in on a daily basis and start playing tournaments and figure out what it's all about and that's what I would you know, that's what, that's how I would start because you'll you'll see how other players are playing you should go then look at the you know in some of the bigger tournaments what what other players what what horses they're playing and see you know just see their odds range so you'll finally you'll get a Sense of you know where you need to be in terms of your odds for horses, so you're not just picking winners. You're picking horses that can allow you, you know, to win the tournaments that you're going to play. But it's it's takes some practice. You know, it took me took me quite a few years to get okay at it.
0: Commissioner, are you a pick and pray player, or are you just the regular tournament where you can adjust your picks as you go? I
1: think. I think pick and pray is probably a better determinant of, you know, um, the better handicapper on that day. Uh, but but a live tournament, you know, brings into it uh, more factors of some game theory um, and then trying to figure out what your competition is going to play. And then, um, you know, so so I think it's a little bit more interesting, but it clearly opens up the gates for – People there at the end of a contest that are just, you know, picking horses out of thin air just so that they can get to the top of the leaderboard, um, which is discouraging if you are on top of the leaderboard and one of those bombs lands and explodes and blows up your chance to win a BCBCC. Not like that happened to me or anything recently, but
0: no none of us have had that
1: happen <laughs> we've all you know. had that happen and people complain about it and i'm, I'm like well just don't play the damn tur- i mean don't play a live tournament if you because it's gonna happen i mean that's what happens you know and then of course if, if it happens to me like if i'm one of the bomb throwers and it's happened, and i've won contests like that what am i gonna do go give the money back complain of course not you know um but look i well, think we can tighten up the nhc a little bit i think we could make it more of a pick and you know some it's maybe some element of pick and pray some element of live i like the way they've transformed it into there's a cut line now where only you know the top 70 play the final day that's great i love that that's that those are great positive final table is terrific you know they've done a really good job i think it's probably time to to make one more you know adjustment to it and let's maybe introduce a little pick and pray on one of the days at least you know um into the tournament might might help make it a little more competitive.
0: You have heard it right from the horse's mouth, the commissioner himself, <laughs> talking about the improvements in the game that he will make. Now, commissioner, you got people that are, for the last 60 minutes, I've been screaming, how about winners? Where can I get winners?
1: I you. have guaranteed, yeah, I, go ahead. I have guaranteed, guaranteed winners for people, guaranteed that I will pick winners at the fairgrounds as the, I am the public handicapper. I think this is my, it might be my eighth year in a row to be the public handicapper for the, the, the new Orleans newspaper and the Baton Rouge newspaper. Um, The the advocate.com. You can get them on NOLA.com, but I'll be picking on a daily basis, every race and there are guaranteed to be winners somewhere in my picks for the fairgrounds, which starts next Thursday uh, in New Orleans, and I'm really looking forward to it. And sometimes when they're not available online, um, you know, get a get a subscription, which doesn't make it free, but it makes it ten cents a day maybe. But these are free picks that um, I put a lot of time into it. I want to I want to have a great return on investment. Um, and I, these are the picks that I'm actually betting. I know people don't believe that, but these are the horses that I'm picking. These are the horses that I'm betting. And uh, um, I can't wait to can't wait to start picking when the entries come out. So it starts next week. com or NOLA.com. And it's Chalk's Choices.
0: Commissioner Chalks. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I really have a lot of fun calling Commissioner. I, I think I'm going to have to come up with some kind of name for a horse. Commissioner Mike or Commissioner Chalk. You know. Uh, uh, the, the, Commissioner the, Chalk. The, yeah. Yeah, that would be good. C-H-O-K. I'll buy in.
1: I'll buy into that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. C H O K. Yeah. He will not be a. He will not be sired by commissioner. No, thank you.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> but, uh, um, maybe Spun to Run. That'd be a great, you know, uh, sire for him. But uh, uh, having uh, been at uh, Keeneland, I've seen a lot of these fr- freshman sires for next year uh, uh, that are going to have yearlings uh, spun to run and. <clears throat> maximum mischief and one last question for the commissioner when you go to uh, to fairgrounds Luiz's or any other place for a barbecue uh, pole boy <laughs>
1: shrimp,
0: a, a shrimp po' boy barbe- barbecue shrimp
1: the a place yeah, like, La
0: they refer
1: La, Lousa's. 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 I don't know how you Italians say it, but uh, this is Lowe's is at the track. I get a barbecue shrimp po' boy and a fishbowl beer and you'll normally run into, you know, Dallas Stewart or, you know, uh, any, a lot of other trainers, they kind of make it their little spot. It's, it's one block from the track and it's uh it's, it's, it's a, it's a must do. It's a must
0: do. Oh, it is to die for and it's not (laughs) the barbecue you're used to
1: no it's not it's not what people think is barbecue that's right
0: is that the is that the secrets to your to your hand
1: throwing throwing people a little curveball you know so when they go in and they think they're getting barbecue with sauce it's it's a little something different i'm not going to tip it off but it's worth a trip if you ever get down there Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com.